Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to thepetecalendarshow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Please stand by. We now take you live to the Institute of Rational Thought for a special broadcast. Hard-hitting interviews and relevant information to make your day. It's Chad Adam. Good afternoon, folks. Hour two underway here on the Pete Callender radio show. Chad Adams, a guest host. The producer's having fun. My former intro to my show. Which I enjoy doing. I loved, uh, you know, having that moniker, the Institute, the Institute of Rational Thought, because it seems like we're devoid of having those kind of discussions. Having a rational thought, you take the emotion out. You actually can have some common sense discussion, and you don't get all caught up in silly slogans and and uh, you know, kind of whataboutisms. But you 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 actually have a discussion about the issues. And we'll, before we went to the break, we were having one of those. By the way, Pete will be back Monday. And we appreciate, you know, look, get well soon, buddy, and, and get back on the air. Your audience loves you, WBT, that family, an incredible family. And when we went to the break, we were talking about participating in the world you live, kind of. We, you, you know, when you're in your 20s and you get that job, you're like, I, I, I got a job. But but every employee of every company out there relies on that employee. It, it sounds, it, it, we take it for granted. People get a job, they go to a job, they see it as a job. They don't see it that they are, one, a representative of the company, Two, they are a part of the success of that company. And I can give you an easy example of that. When many of you go to fast food restaurants when you're on the road or going out and about, and you've been to 50,000 different fast food places, whether it be Hardee's, Burger King, McDonald's, Chick-fil-A, whatever it is, and you know the instant difference between one that is run well and one that is not. You can tell by the attitude of the staff. You can tell by the kind of service you get. You can tell if the, if the supplies have been redone, if the place is clean. There's a thousand different ways you can tell that that is a great branch or not. And it's directly due to the leadership and the local employees. Your country is the same way. You've been in different communities where you can tell that it's just not going well. And it's not always Republican Democrat stuff, a lot of nonpartisan races in, in cities and communities, but you can tell. And you can also tell when you're in one that's run well. It's efficient, it's run well, people care, they're involved, the taxes are low, the property rights are great. You can tell. And then you can see when cities reach a point of great success and those cities are are they are they have the benefit of geography, weather, companies that come there, a million different things, educational class, whatever it is. And then they find a way to wrestle from victory the the, the jaw from the jaws of victory a defeat. And you see this happening in places like Portland, in Seattle, in San Francisco, you see it to a certain extent in inner cities of Raleigh and in Charlotte. You see it in Asheville. Asheville has a history. It has a, a phenomenal history of going too far with government and, and getting so mired it basically went bankrupt in the 30s doing all this art stuff and, and went too far and ruined itself. And it took decades for it to come back. I mean, it's still kind of recovering from that and finds itself doing the same thing again. And getting obsessed with electric buses and bathrooms in public and 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 light ordinances, they do everything they can to crush a, a phenomenally great place to be 
Asheville should be a thriving jewel of the western part of our state, and it's not. It's really not. Grungy, very left-leaning, sanctuary city kind of mentality. You know, they're, they're obsessed with doing things that aren't really helping their town, their city. It's not helping elevate the lifestyle. It's not helping uh, quality of life. It's not helping property rights. And you see this time and again. And you see some outlying areas like Henderson, Hendersonville, or rather a uh, Bat Cave area up in that area, heading up the mountain to Asheville. They're doing fantastic. Again. But you matter. You, your kids, the way you raise them, the value system you have, and the fact that you will get involved and care about your country and vote or get out and support a candidate, get out and make a difference. Now, I'm not lecturing you to go out and be conservatives. I happen to believe very strongly that those are the issues that matter, that the preservation of freedom, the protection of property rights, the, the way in which we, we do those things and, 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 and that history matters, the history of our nation matters, the founders and the documents they wrote matter. A lot of people don't. A lot of people today, hey, they got to get that TikTok video out. Man, look at this new dance move. Oh, my God, that frog talked. Did you see that? Did you see what my dog did? That's kind of where they are. And maybe it's it's, it's the, the component of being youthful. It's the component of youth. You want to. That youth, I'm watching that docuseries. I, yes, I watch a little Netflix. And I was watching the Alexander stuff. And I think it's very well done. I happen to personally like it. I think it's it's amazing because you you juxtapose like an Alexander uh, historical figure with a drug lord, and you see they're not. This sounds I, you're going to say I can't believe you compare those, but there's a ruthlessness to them. That was a very primitive time, but there was a ruthlessness to it. You killed them. They didn't capture people. Just killed them and slit their throats. It's no different than Pablo Escobar doing it. Silver or lead, that was his policy. I can pay you off or I can kill you. Alexander, much the same way, but but it was amazing. He was accomplishing all that in his 20s. He conquered the known world by 24. Thomas Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. He's like 30. It's just amazing the amount that these people, and you have the same amount of time. You have the same amount of time in a day, same amount of time in a week, same amount of time in a month that they did. Global warming notwithstanding, one millisecond longer in the day than there was 300 years ago. Earth slowing down a little bit. So, that being said, a lot these issues do matter. I get tired of the pander bear mentality of so many of our political class now that they like to get an issue and they kind of instead of wanting to solve the problem, they like to pander around it. Our Governor Cooper and Stein again, you hear me say that. I mean, he's like, "Why are you beating up on them so much?" I'm not. I just get tired of the pandering. I get tired of them having the opportunity to do something in their position of power and not doing anything. I remember when I was a county commissioner, I every day that I went to those meetings or got the agenda packet or added something, I was thinking to myself, one, is it, is it really helping anyone? Two, is anything that we are doing worth taking away money from people who earn it? And three, does it take away any rights or freedoms that our citizens have? And it, and those were kind of my governing philosophies. And I, I really got torn when we get into the topic of financial incentives. I would get personally torn, and I was for a long time, on the, on the role of financial incentives because I thought, well, you know, I, I love free market capitalism. I want more companies to come to my area. We've got to compete. And these financial incentives, you know, and, but, but ultimately what financial incentives are are bribes. Financial incentives are I'm going to cut your taxes I'm going to make it cheaper for you, but your competitor will have to pay their taxes. 
So I'm giving you, I'm picking and choosing the winners and losers. And then I saw the Dell situation go down, and then I saw the, the Randy Parton Theater up on I-95 corridor near Rocky Mountain. I would see these ginormous deals fall apart, and I would think about the millions of dollars in wasted tax money time, not just the taxes. They say, oh, well, we got a clawback provision. No, but you don't get all that staff time and all the resources and everything that was dedicated to that. You don't get that back. So the incentive game was game. And so I ultimately became someone who's very critical of incentives, still are. Because if you have low crime, great schools, you have a, a great infrastructure, good roads, you have good quality of life, that's the greatest incentive in the world right there. A lot of places at the beach, people like to live at the beach. You don't have to incentivize people to move to the beach. They go there on their own. They pay an absurd amount of money to live at the beach. Now, that was a little personal diatribe. We'll get back on track with some issues. People will be back on Monday. Chad Adams, your guest host here on WBT News Talk 1110-993-WBT. If you would like to get into the conversation, give us a call at 704-570-1110. Matt, you have been on hold uh, listening to this fentanyl discussion. You have something to add to it. Please, welcome to the show. Yeah, Chad. Uh, I haven't talked to you since before the holidays. You were filling in for Brent Winterville. You're doing a great job as usual, man. Well, thank you. Listen, uh, you talk about fentanyl, uh, you talk about uh, three times the amount that it takes to kill a person. Uh, that's like two grains of salt. Um, yeah. It's it's a minor amount, but, you know, I'm not proud of this fact, but I used to be addicted to alcohol. Um, you know, I drank way too much, and I, I was just, I became addicted to it. And my buddy was like, hey, you know, why don't you try smoking pot? And uh, so I started smoking weed, and I don't mean smoking it like Cheech and Chong joints, like, you know, getting blistered. I just mean a little puff here and there, just enough to take the edge off, and it seemed to work for a while. Um, and one day, I got some pot from the same guy that I normally get it from, and I smoked the same amount that I normally smoked, and I got so disgustingly high that I curled up in a fetal position on my kitchen floor and I stayed that way for about 12 hours. And I can't confirm positively that it had fentanyl in it, but it wasn't like a marijuana high. It was something else. Something You just don't know. Yeah, there was something in it yeah. and uh, it scared the crap out of me and I just stopped smoking it and I haven't smoked it in like a year and a half, but I think it was laced. Yeah, and you don't know what it was laced with. It could have been any no. number of, of, of chemicals. That's the that's one of the issues here. You know, when you have an illicit drug trade, that's exciting. And, and, th and, and I appreciate you, by the way, sharing your personal story. It's not, Thanks, it's not easy, but there are a lot of people that are struggling with addiction. And, and, and when you have an illicit drug trade, the recovery stuff is, is just, you know, it, it's nice that you went through that recovery process and have stayed clean ever since. So congratulations on that. But you're right. The the lacing of, of, of stuff that's out there and the kids that may try it one time and they're dead. I'll share a personal story as well. My wife almost died a few years ago. It was a horrific event. It was a brain aneurysm and the pain was unbelievable. She was in intensive care for 21 days, luckily full recovery. It was like winning a lottery. But there were times that that was the only medication they could use. And, and to use it, they had to have two medical people in the room signing off both of them to administer it under controlled circumstances to alleviate the pain. And it was, it was remarkable in that way, but the way it's just, you're right. That stuff is like grains of salt and it doesn't take a lot. It goes a long way. 
and it's unfortunately killing a lot. So, Matt, I, I appreciate the call. I appreciate you being a part of the broadcast and sharing your story with us. Again, if you would like to get in on the conversation, 704-570-1110, 570-1110, the phone numbers. And it is astounding, you know, it, it, on the one hand, from a libertarian standpoint, it makes the argument, Matt, he wasn't making the argument in favor of drugs. I did not take that away. But he he does make the case that at least if it was, it would be under a controlled situation because the illicit drug trade right now. And, and again, that's one of those. There's no way those are healthy things to have. Humans are going to find a way to get them. And I mean, I've been in states where it's legal. I've been in, we're in a state that it's not. And now I think the medical marijuana stuff is going to pass in North Carolina, which is just a gateway to passage of full on legality, the, the legality of pot. But it, it it's a mess. And And I know that. When you looked up in Seattle, they started decriminalizing heroin and opioids and stuff like that, and the the precipitous fall that 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 ensued after that. Then you you, you want to know: Did more people go there and start using it, or did the people that were already there just start an open Pandora's box and it went down? And when you see the utilization, and you see the tent cities, and you see the decline of a town or a city like Seattle, it it is. It is it is is disheartening. It's troubling, and and you see people that are tripping out in the streets. And I, I mean, having traveled in some of those streets and been there, I was just there about a year and a half ago in Seattle, and and I was astounded. I mean, I knew it was bad. We have friends that are out there, and one, I'll give you a, a for instance: the kids play. There are many parents that are taking their kids from Seattle and heading east into Idaho and moving their kids into Idaho while the husband or wife stays back and works the job in Seattle. When the kids play baseball there. The parents have to show up early and clear the baseball field of needles. So the parents have to get out there, kind of get arm's length apart, walk the distance of the field one way, checkerboard the field basically in the walking pattern to clear it of needles and other substances. They, you know, human excrement, everything. They, it's, it's a stat. That's, that's their life. Imagine if that's if, if every park you went to in Charlotte and every park you went to in the surrounding area, that's what had to be done every time it was used. And so the decline, you know, they act like these things aren't big, but they are. And that's a those are leftist cities. Those are cities where you see the moral decay, you see the complete downfall in these these urbanized liberal cities. And I'm not being mean to progressives, but when you have a, a mentality of anti-law enforcement, you have a mentality of not enforcing the law, you're going to get that. It's just going to fall apart on you. Now, there's there's two stories I will get to. I don't know if I'll get to them in this hour or the next hour, but I do want to get to the one before we get to the bottom of this hour is the new data has been released from the Center for Disease Control, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC that our society, I believe, needs that that organization needs to get back to a point that we trust them. I think they've lost a lot of the trust in the American people and others. The World Health Organization has shot itself in the foot numerous times. But they have a massive public relations problem after COVID. But they did release some new data about the COVID-19 booster. So you remember we were told, remember there were people in CNN and and MSNBC, oh, if you get the the COVID vaccine, it's 100% protected. And then they moderate that, well, it's 95% effective. Oh, but we never, it, it was never like anything, and then we would find that it was just completely not true. So the latest round, the COVID-19 booster offers, get this, 54% protection against infection from the virus. That's it. 
I'm not I'm not putting that down. I'm saying that's it. A 54%. So and that's in a best case. The study was published in the CDC's online journal Morbidity and Mortality Weekly Report showed that the updated vaccine was essentially equally effective at protecting against the strain targeted by the vaccine called XBB.1.5 and the JN.1 subvariant which emerged after the vaccine was made. Uh, JN.1 is currently the dominant virus circulating in the U.S. Ruth Link-Gellis, author of the study, said it shows that the latest COVID shot offers protection. 54%. Uh, I had a good friend. I wouldn't say good friend. A friend. Friend that whose parents were and are mask freaks. I mean, they're the kind that you would see driving in a car by themselves wearing a mask. And I'm not... There are people like that. I feel bad for them. They live in a world of fear, and they live in a world where they're they're, they're they've jailed themselves. They won't visit someone unless those people have had a COVID test. They won't uh, go out to certain markets. They have everything brought in. They live in a jail. They live in their own personal jail, and it's it looks like a miserable existence to me. Now, the irony there is that one of them got COVID. They don't know how, and it, they, they thought it was a death sentence. They had pretty much convinced themselves that COVID was a death sentence because they're in their 70s, and it ended up it was no worse than a common cold for them because they didn't have any of the comorbidities. They weren't overweight. They weren't diabetic. They didn't have chronic illnesses. They were otherwise relatively healthy people other than the mentally unhinged lunatic left part of their brain that prevented them from having rational, logical discussions about it. And now that they've had it, the question I have is, so are you going to resume a normal life now that you've had this? And they haven't gotten back with me on that. But uh, that's, And I'm trying not to have some schadenfreude about this and say, well, it, you know, because they, they imprison themselves. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay. So what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply. At CarolinaReadiness.com, whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at CarolinaReadiness.com, veteran-owned Carolina readiness supply will you be ready when the lights go out i was watching a uh, video it's kyle becker posted cnn's erica hill so th they're kind of they're doing an interview live on cnn and they they're talking about the the theft that's going on in new york and stuff and they have an expert on and he's he's talking about you know the, all these people that came from florida and texas they end up in new york and they're stealing and the guy says, well, you know, they were in those states. And he asked them why they steal here instead of there. And the answer almost unanimous is because if we steal in Florida or Texas, we go to jail and we don't here. And the CNN host, it is so funny. It's Erica Hill. And she just sits there, deaf mute, like cat. Uh, it's dead air. And so it's one of the, the, the cardinal sins of, of live talk or, or t television is just dead air. You just don't do that. And they're, but they're, they're so ingrained. They're, they're so into their own confirmation bias 
And it's like it's we see this with Laura Leslie at WRAL. We see this so many times where they're incapable of seeing things from a different perspective. And that and that's one of the things that's just missing today in, in so many places that that the ability to say, you know what, maybe maybe I need to look at this for the reality that it is, not what I want it to be. And I think that we're seeing that more. I think by the reality of Joe Biden's rain is starting to sink into people and they're like, wait a minute, you know what? I can't I can't TikTok my way out of a Joe Biden presidency making sense. I can't I can't use any form of rational thought in a way that makes this presidency make sense. I, I can't even for me, the difficult part is not understanding that the Biden folks are out of touch. And it's 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 more than just progressives being out of touch. The progressive movement is confused by Biden's pres- presidency. It is that that Democrats in this state are that out of touch. And it's not that they're that out of touch. It's that they can't. I believe I honestly believe that Roy Cooper and Josh Stein absolutely know that Biden is in decline. I think they absolutely know that it is a problem. The numbers in North Carolina are bad and getting worse for Joe Biden. They know that the political future of the governor's mansion, they're hoping to transition it, hand the baton to Josh Stein from Governor Cooper, but they don't know how to add. They, they're, they're left with this horrific choice. I think it's an easy choice. If it were me, it would be an easy choice. Josh Stein, I would advise Josh Stein, go ahead and take on the president. You've got to identify, you've got to be your own guy. Josh, you're the attorney general of the state of North Carolina. You have no reason in the world to not. If you wanted to get, the Democrats aren't going to vote for anybody but you. So you can come out of your shell. You know, you can do the Puxatawney Phil, see your shadow, stay out, and be in public, and tell North Carolinians that you have a problem with what's happening at the southern border, that the president is wrong, that you, as the attorney general and aspiring governor, you will help defend the southern border. You do think that fentanyl is a problem here. You do believe that illegal immigration in North Carolina is a problem. You stand up and be counted, but instead it's this group think, drink the Kool-Aid, I'll just do whatever they tell me to. You're not your own guy. I mean, the one thing I do like about the situation with Robinson and Bill Graham and, and Dale Falwell is those three guys are going at it, and they are holding nothing back. They are really going at it trying to get votes, and they stand for what they stand for. You have, an, you have a choice of the people that are in that race. But with Josh Stein, you've got, you've got a carbon copy of Roy Cooper running just a younger version of Roy Cooper. They both were the attorney general. They both waited in the wings. They both did what the Democrats told them to. They won't criticize their own party. They won't be their own person. They'll just do whatever the DNC says. DNC says, don't you criticize the border? Okay, I won't. Don't criticize fentanyl. Okay, I won't. You can criticize Donald Trump. Okay, I'll do that. And it's it, it's this myopic view. These are not, is that what you want in your governor's mansion? Is that what you want, you know, in your attorney general? I want someone that, that's very interested in protecting North Carolinians from enemies, domestic and foreign. I, that's what I think the executive branch of government's all about. You're not there to just, it, it's really weird to watch this walled defense of Joe Biden when it's like, are you going to believe me or your lying eyes? That's, that's what the Democrats expect us to believe is that everything is fine. And I think Gavin Newsom, it's funny to watch Gavin Newsom run around the country and, and be the, 
you know, the point person for Democrats, you know, the, the charismatic, tall guy. And, you know, and he just says stuff. And people are like, wow, that was amazing. Gavin Newsom's amazing. What do you think of Biden? Oh, I think he's fantastic. He's doing great. He's really well with it. Well, knowing when as soon as the camera goes away, he's like, man, that guy's in bad shape. They know. They know. They're not dumb. Now we get back. I, I, um, we're going to get into a little bit of a fun with the free market. And I, I, we had done the COVID stuff. But if you had had, so this is about, an, it's kind of an investment question. If you had had a $10,000 investment, 20 years, if you had $10,000 and you put it in one company, what would it likely have been? These are kind of the games you can play with yourself. What would it have been? I, I can remember when I was in that industry, you know, I couldn't give Apple stock away for like a buck 67 a share. Not 20 years ago, but further than that, probably 90 or 2001, two, somewhere there. Couldn't give Apple stock away. So it's before the iPad, before the iPhone. You know, people people made fun of people who had Macintosh, and you could. And I had an older woman who came in, and one of the last purchases I made, she bought ten thousand shares of Apple stock at about a buck sixty-seven a share, and she just said her nephew had said that they were good computers, and he want, she wanted to buy it. And I said, "Are you sure?" She said, "Yes." We executed that trade, and I got a letter from her about ten years later. Said she'd paid for her house, paid for a kid's college education. She still had money left over. She think wasn't me. It was her choice. So where I'm going to go with this is I want to. Uh, so the question is, if you had put in in, in 20 years ago, ten thousand dollars into Amazon. Let's think about where Amazon is and what that would look like. So we'll discuss that on the other side of the break because that is rather an amazing. Just 20 years, not 25 years ago. Just in 2004. If you had to put it in January 29th, Amazon, where would you be? And I'm not picking a particular date. That just happens to be the date that's in the story. So we'll go with that. Chad Adams sitting in for our good friend Pete Callender, who will be back Monday here in this very studio. So we appreciate uh, you listening, and and uh, you guys have been fantastic. By the way, every I'm always amazed when I get on here, as I don't I don't really promote social media that much. I I I like doing it. I like just getting my thoughts out there. But on on Twitter. Every time I get on here, there's people that are listeners of this broadcast that that chime in, they like, they comment, and I, I read all of them. I see all of them at, at Chad underscore Adams, and, and you guys are just phenomenal, so I appreciate all of you. And, yeah, that was my shameless plug of the day. In the break, I was reading a piece by the Project Syndicate, and I will get to the Amazon story, but I'm reading a piece in the Project Syndicate, and it's called The World's Opinion Page. And so the author of a piece, his name's Joseph Nye Jr., He's been writing for this group uh, since 2002. He is an emeritus professor at Harvard Kennedy School and a former U.S. Assistant Secretary of Defense, you don't say. Now, having said that, I'm always amazed when these, these insider progressive types uh, or neocons, either group, project things onto a given candidate. Usually it's a conservative and they, they project onto things. It's like when people call things the Affordable Care Act. It was neither affordable and it didn't do a lot about care. Uh, you know, the, the Inflation Reduction Act, it didn't reduce inflation. It didn't reduce it at all. It's almost like if they, if they ever name an act, whatever the opposite of that name is, is what the government act will actually achieve. And so we know we now have 
three plus years of a Biden presidency. We have four years of a Donald Trump presidency. We have a track record for both of these. And I don't want to say inevitable candidates. I, I don't. But it's 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 highly likely that those will be the candidates. But anything can happen between now and November, especially when you're talking about an octogenarian and one that's approaching that age. Anything can happen. But when people say moonback crazy things, and they do this under the auspices of their, I'm from Harvard, uh, I know this stuff. Those are projections. They, they said Donald Trump would declare on Islam, declare war on Islam. They, we didn't. They said it's going to start a war with North Korea. It didn't. Uh, in fact, he was far more likely to not. I mean, he was much more of, of a dove on this stuff. Uh, he's going to withdraw from NATO. He didn't. He made NATO more accountable. He's going to withdraw from the UN. He didn't. He made uh, the UN more accountable. Uh, there's going to be war with Russia. Actually, there wasn't. It was actually a, a, a very different time than what we have now. So so when, when they start asserting that, oh, the next Trump presidency, this is what will happen, and they just took – it's like they took an old hit from the 70s and put it back on the air and acted like you've never heard it before, and it's a brand new hit. You got to hear this new Steely Dan song. No, I, I heard it. No, you didn't. That was then. This is now. Really, trust me. It's different now. It's one thing to look at the Blues Brothers again and see that you missed a line, maybe from the script, 30, 40 years ago. It's another to tell me that what I saw and experienced wasn't what I saw and experienced. And that's what I think the left is trying to project now. So this piece, he's saying, and, and I love what he said, if Donald Trump wins back the White House in November, this year could mark a turning point for American power. Finally, the fear of decline that has preoccupied Americans since the colonial era would be justified. In other words... If the Democrats win, then American power is still great and in place. Now, there's nothing about that that has a semblance in reality looking at the current inhabitant of the White House. It's just not real. It's untethered from a rational point. But if Donald Trump gets in, that, that American would lose power. And they're, what they're trying to say is it has to do with him being a populist. That a populist, and they associate all populism with fascism. They associate all populist any kind of American populist is going to be associated with Hitler. It always goes back to Hitler to them. Never realizing that when someone cuts government and turns over power to the states or the individuals, that's the opposite of Hitler. They are the ones that are, the, the Harvard elites are the ones much more closely aligned with a pro-Hamas, anti-Jew, anti-American rhetoric. From whence he writes, they never look in the mirror and say, Maybe my side. You know, we're so obsessed with him being a fascist that we don't realize that our team actually practices fascism more. It practices the erosion of property rights. It puts into practice that government, not through government, is the way to solve problems, and in so doing, acquires more and more power over the means of production. More, I mean, if you look at the entire climate change agenda, it's much more inclined to want to nationalize the, the infrastructure of power production. By having the tendrils of government in it, I, it's, it's it's while Americans have long been drawn to what I call the author rights, the gl golden glow of the past. The U.S. has never had the power many imagine it did. Now think about that. He's already telling you, well, we weren't really all that powerful. Even even with preponderant resources, America has often failed to get what it wants. Those who think that today's world is more complex and tumultuous than in the past should remember a year like 1956, when the U.S. was unable to prevent Soviet repression of a revolt in Hungary, and when our allies, Britain, France, and Israel, invaded the Suez. To paraphrase the comedian Will Rogers, 
Hegemony ain't what it used to be and never was. Periods of declinism tell us more about popular psychology than about geopolitics. He's trying to assert, we, but again, one of our, one of America's greatest triumphs is forcing the Europeans to deal with what happens in their backyard. I mean, not dealing with Hitler quick enough. Well, we ended up, we ended up turning that around. It wasn't us alone. It's the work with allies. It's the creating of diplomacy, defeating Japan. There's, there's almost nothing. I love the way he, he finds this isolated 1956 year. I would say Vietnam, you could say the same thing. We didn't, but it wasn't a declared war. There's this crazy hilltop diplomacy. Hopefully we learn something from it. But America, it isn't that, that we're, in, we're in, I think we're in a con- considerable state of moral decline. And I don't say that. I have my faith. But I'm not saying that we need to create you know, a, a theologic structure. My point is that you look at the animalistic tendencies. When, when cities go left, the animal tendencies go with them. And, and that sounds horrible, doesn't it? But when you tolerate shoplifting, the people who shoplift, the animals that do that, become emboldened. You have to have law and order, not because you need to have a fascist regime, but you have to have respect for the rule of law because it allows a lot more freedom to take place. Sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But if I'm defending, if your neighborhood is safe, more people want to live there. Your kids play outside. They express more freedom in the way they exist. If you don't have safe, if you, if, you know, I love it when they claim that there's racism behind a store closing in any given place. When a store closes and says, well, we're closing because of all the shoplifting that's taking place. And groups come out and say, no, you're closing because you're racist. Well, no, we had $5 million thing, you know, dollars worth of retail items stole. It doesn't matter. You're still racist for closing the store. As if the store has an obligation to be in a place where it loses money. They don't. Again, that's a projection by the left onto a free market principle. And it's completely bizarre. And so when I read through this article, it's like, if Trump gets there, America will have proven that it's in decline. And and I was just blown away by that. In fact, his final thing is, even if its external power remains dominant, a country can lose its internal virtue and attractiveness to others. Now, let's think about what that means for a second, because the internal virtue and attractiveness is Joe Biden and Hunter and Nancy Pelosi. There's virtue in these people by comparison, because that's what he's doing. He's drawing the comparison to Trump. The Roman Empire lasted long after it's, it lost its Republican form of government, as Benjamin Franklin remarked. Uh, you, you know, American government created by the founders a republic if you can keep it. To the extent that American democracy is becoming more polarized and fragile, if that it is that development that could cause American decline. But it's funny, he never ascribes the division to their side of the aisle. It's only Trump that is divisive, not the race baiters, not the, you know, the people that acquiesce to looting and destruction of private property. It's just an astounding juxtaposition of values. They never, they never. Theirs are from on high, from Mount Olympus. They are telling us, this is us telling you the way it is. Much more to go as always. Hour three, getting ready to be underway. Chad Adams, your guest host this afternoon, sitting in for Pete Callender here at WBT. You want to call us? 704-570-1110, 704-570-1110. News Talk 1110, 99.3 WBT. I'll be right back after this. 